So we are continuing our study of the book of Luke as we're working our way through it through this the summer. Um, we still have a, a, a few weeks left. In fact, we're going to end this message series on Labor Day weekend. So that's where we will get all the way to chapter 24. We're going to finish the book. Um, and then actually um, after that, our next message series after that is we're going to um, study the life of Moses. So we're going to go clear to the to the front of the, of the Bible and, and look at some, um, some Old Testament scriptures about the life of Moses. So, again, that's where we're headed. But in this, I hope that you're reading along in Luke, that you're, uh, again, reading ahead or, or reading the chapters as we go. As, uh, just as I've said, there's um, no way that we can cover two chapters uh, a week from the stage together, but I just hope that you're reading it on your own. And, and again, if you're with us online or out of town or on vacation or whatever it is, you kind of you know where we're going to be. So continue uh, to read in that. And last week, we finished just a, a significant section um, of parables and teachings that were focused on the religious leaders and, and the Pharisees and of that time, uh, as well as challenging to all of us. And, um, and now today, we're starting this, this next section and starting with chapter 17 and 18 of Luke. And when we look at that, again, 17 starts out um, just on a whole new topic. And, and again, that one's all focused on parables and teachings about the religious leaders and the community. And that, this next section is very much centered on the disciples. In fact, they, um, they have some different interactions with Jesus. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 17, is it starts out with Jesus talking directly to his disciples. And he gives them some really hard things to do. In fact, if you read it, they, um, you know, there's some really hard topics. I mean, one, he starts out with telling them to make sure that they never cause someone else to fall into sin. And then he talks about calling out other believers if they do sin and, and how to grant forgiveness to others over and over again, no matter how many times they need it, that you're going to grant forgiveness. Now, as we think about this, and even if you read it ahead of time, you see that Jesus is very stern in, in this passage, and, and he gives some, some hard things. And, and their reaction to everything that Jesus gave is probably similar to our reaction right now, as we hear those lists of things that we're supposed to do as Jesus' disciples. Jesus, that's impossible. But in fact, that was exactly their, their reaction to Jesus. Like, that's hard. Right? And in fact, we think it's impossible. We can't possibly do all of that, Jesus. And then we, we, um, we see their reaction in Luke 17, 5. And it's really what I want to just focus on this morning as we look at these two chapters. Is, again, their, their request of God. When they, when they hear and, and, and digest these incredibly hard things that Jesus is telling them they need to do to grow as disciples. Right? This is their reaction to Jesus. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. Right? Because they realized that, man, all these things in front of for me to, to, to be a disciple, to, to do what God needs me to do and accomplish all these things, like, like it seems impossible. And, and they say, I cannot do that on my own power. And, and yet that's exactly the foundation of, of our faith and even of the gospel, right, is that we cannot save ourselves. We need God. And and they're realizing now that these next steps of their faith journey that Jesus is calling them to, and Jesus raising the bar on them and saying, hey, like, this is where you've been, this is the way things have worked, but guess what? Like, you got to go farther. 
The, the, the more you learn, the more responsibility you take on because the more you represent God and, and you don't want to misrepresent God. And, and so here's what you need to do. And they're like, that's impossible. So show us, Lord, how we can increase our faith. Now, as we see their attitude, I think this is a great example for all of us because the reality is we should come to God with this same attitude every single day. Lord, help me increase my faith. Because the things that are in front of me, the, the, the struggles, the sin, the transformation, the, even the victories, are, they're, they're hard, Lord. They're things that I, I feel like I can't do on my own. And in fact, that's exactly the point. <laughs> we can't do it on our own. We need God. Now, Jesus' answer to them in verses 6 through 10 actually seems just as harsh as the original instructions. In the following verses, they say that Jesus, Jesus basically tells them that if they had any faith at all, that the impossible would be possible. And that no matter how much they do for God, it isn't enough to make them worthy. Hey, this is one of those moments where you kind of wish that Jesus would hold back a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? When you sit back and you're like, Lord, okay, I feel like I'm here for you, but that's hard. Right, that's a high bar. And, and again, as they ask Jesus to increase their faith, like he doesn't say, okay, it's okay, I'll just I'll step back. And, oh, in fact, he raises the bar again on them. And yet, as we look at this, right, this is, again, the foundation of our faith, truly the foundation of the gospel, right, is that we can never do anything to make us worthy. We can't earn our salvation. We can't be good enough on our own. Right? We cannot do the, the right things, say the right things, think the right things. Right? We cannot make ourselves holy enough to ever be at God's standard. And again, that's the foundation of the gospel. That's why God sent Jesus to step in our place. Right? That we can be saved by grace through faith. Knowing that we don't have to earn it ourselves. That he sent Jesus, the Messiah, to step in our place, to pay the price we could not pay. And so as we think about that and just are reminded of that foundation of the gospel message and, and even of what salvation is, right? Of being restored and, and made holy by God, restored in relationship to him. And, and realizing then that anything that God gives us, his love, his forgiveness, our salvation, all of it is by grace. Because the only thing that we've earned from God is death. Anything I get from God other than death, right, is by grace. Thank you, Lord. You provide that way. And again, grace is God's side of the deal. Right? He sent Jesus. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. He conquered sin and death and provided a way for us to be reconnected to our creator. Right? All by grace. And that, that's God's side. Now, the faith part is our side. In fact, that's, again, one of these most foundational verses in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 about the gospel, about how we are saved. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. You were saved by grace, right? We cannot earn our way. We need a Savior. We have a Savior in the person of Jesus, right? That God created 
or gave us that way through his grace. But you notice it is by grace through faith that we are saved. Right? Faith is our, is our side of the deal. How will I respond to God's love? Right? Will I receive Christ as my Savior? Okay? Will I step out in faith right? and, and open my life and, and, and my, my heart to God and his spirit? Again, grace is God's part. Only God can save. We cannot save ourselves and we can't save anyone else. But faith is our part. We have to believe and accept, even when we don't see the whole picture. And see, that's the whole point of faith, right? Is being sure of what we cannot see. Grace and faith, they work together. They are intertwined. They are the foundation of the gospel, and we need them both. So the disciples here, they ask a really good question, right? How can my faith increase? How can I be transformed by God's Spirit? How can I have a stronger faith? And then we look at it throughout the rest of these two chapters. The, the stories speak to faith and how it's being strengthened in different ways. So we're going to go be, look deeper at some of these stories and, and help us to answer this question, how can my faith be increased? Or how can I go deeper? And the first story I want to look at this morning is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. So if you have your Bible with you, you open with me to, to Luke 17. Uh, again, we're going to read uh, verses 11 uh, through 19. And this is where Jesus heals of leprosy. So Luke 17, picking up at verse 11, it says, As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Did I heal ten men? Um, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. You know, as you see, this miracle, right, this miraculous healing that Jesus does, um, again, the point of this miracle isn't really the fact that Jesus heals ten men. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible in itself, right? But I believe the point of this story is, is that it focuses on the response of the men once they were healed. Because I think we can see, again, God is at work in our world, right? Whether we acknowledge him or not, like he is at work. His presence is there. Even, if, even for those that deny he even exists, he's still here. Right? And we see, again, for all ten of these guys, right, that God was there. God worked. Right? They, they were affected by God's power. But how did they react to that power? How did they react to God? Right? What was their side of the deal? Right? And we see that nine of them just accepted it and moved on. They didn't even acknowledge to God right, that he was at work. They just took what they could get right, and moved on. But then there was this this 10th guy, right? And again, what was his reaction? He came back to Jesus, 
right? And he reacted with praise. He knows his reaction was worship. It was, you know, it was, it was thankfulness. It was praise, right? He was, he was at the feet of Jesus. I mean, I mean, he reacted in praise, right? That's exactly what he says, right? He sees Jesus, praise God, I've been healed. And here we learn from this man the first way that our faith will be increased is our faith is increased with praise. Right? The more that we acknowledge the fact that I didn't do this. It's, it was God that did this. And again, God is at work in our world, whether we acknowledge him or not. And, and part of how we strengthen our faith is to, to actually acknowledge him. Right? Again, it's, it's to, to say and even point out to people, right? They're like, oh, that was, that was, you were so lucky. I'm like, no, I'm not. There was no luck involved. Right? That was God. Right? I mean, there's, there's I guess, so many times that I think, again, that God is at work and we don't even realize it, right? Or especially because we don't acknowledge it. Right? We see in Luke um, 17, verses 15 and 16, right? It says, one of them, he saw that he was healed. He came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Again, this, he reacts in praise, right? In worship of God. Now, I, I, I encourage you, again, I want to look, go back and look at this verse because I encourage you to underline the phrase, when he saw that he was healed. Because this is a significant turning point for this guy. Okay, because... There's a huge difference, right, between noticing something and truly seeing it. Again, all ten of these guys, I noticed that they were healed. Okay, they, they were, the leprosy was gone. They noticed that. But only this guy saw it. Right, he, he ingested it deeper into his heart and his mind. Right, about, okay, what really happened here? There's a big difference between noticing something and seeing it. Right? And the, the, the real difference is how we react to it. Right? I can notice something and I can just keep going. Right? Or I can see it. And I can react to it. Right? Nine of the ten guys' reaction was to celebrate and enjoy their own healing. They completely stayed focused on themselves. Have you noticed our world's a little selfish? Right? That's, that's the way they reacted. But this guy, his reaction was to go back to Jesus and to praise. Right? He realized the grace and mercy that he'd received and how he could have never done it on, on, his, on his own without God's power, and his immediate reaction was to praise. Right? And this man's faith grew because of it. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells him, right? He says, in the next verse, right? he says, okay, your faith has saved you. Now, that naturally implies that the other nine guys weren't saved, doesn't it? Again, God is at work, whether we acknowledge him or not. Right? God is, we saw last week, right? God is pursuing you whether you're saved or not. God loves you whether you love him back or not. Right? But will we react to Jesus and receive his love and grace and power in our lives? And the reason why our faith grows when we praise is because the more we praise God, the more we realize we need God. 
Right? It's, it's easy to kind of explain a lot of things in life away and be like, oh, I was just in the right place at the right time, right? I, I've worked hard for this for, for years, like, like I'm finally getting mine, right, or whatever. Like, we can, we can explain things away. We can even take the credit, right? And yet, so many times, right, like, we had nothing to do with it. God did it. And, and again, this, this idea, right, the more we pray, the more we realize we need God. I mean, this is, this is literally the definition of the churchy word, humbled. Right? The more I praise God, the more I'm humbled, the more I realize that God's God and I'm not and I need him in my life. Right? I realize the work that he's doing, right? The more that I praise, the more that it puts my focus off of myself and onto the God that's at work. Right? Again, this is one of the reasons that we need to be in church on a regular basis. It's not just for learning, right? It's also for praising, right? They, they're, there's a, a power in corporate worship, right? You can see, again, I, I play guitar, right? I can sit and play guitar and sing songs by myself, but it's not the same, right? Like, there's, there's something powerful about corporate worship. There's, it's one of the reasons we need to be in church on a regular basis, Again, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus asks about the other nine men. And he does this not to draw attention to the miracle, but to make the point of how easy it is to not acknowledge the source of blessings in our life. Right? 90% of them didn't acknowledge God. I think that's probably a pretty close ratio to today, isn't it? And then we see in verse 19, Jesus tells this man that his faith has saved him. Because of his praise, his faith has been increased and increased to a saving faith. Again, the other nine were healed. This guy was healed and saved. That's a pretty good day. Again, it all goes back to his reaction to God working. And his reaction to God working was praise. Okay, the next story I want to look at is in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, and he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have Again, literally, verse 1 says that this parable is focused on prayer. And just like the widow continues to ask, ask the judge, even when no result comes, we need to keep praying, even when we don't see immediate results. He says, keep praying. And we learn, again, from this parable, right, and from this woman in the story, that faith is increased with persistence. Even when you're discouraged, even when it feels like you're making no progress, he says, just keep going, right? Be persistent. 
Now again, no details of the actual case or whom the enemy of the widow is. We're, there's the biggest detail, right, that we're given is the character of the judge. And now this judge was not fit for his position, not even close. <laughs> right? He didn't care. He didn't care about anybody but himself. And yet, because of this woman's persistence, she's granted a just conclusion to her case. Now, the comparison is made between the unjust judge to God. Now, the reality is that God is the opposite of this judge. He does care about people, and he is 100% worthy of his position and of his authority. God can be trusted, and he does answer. God answers every prayer. Okay, he does. He answers every prayer. Now, again, we want his answer to always be yes. Right, that, that's not true. Okay, God does not answer yes to every prayer, but he does answer every prayer. Okay, again, that's exactly what Jesus tells us, right, in verse 8. He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Right, he's saying God will grant justice. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will will find on earth who have faith. Again, it still comes down to not just about who God is, but our reaction, right, of our, our own faith. How many will have faith? Right, I, I again, encourage you to underline the phrase, he will grant justice, right? God does answer. God is there. He does. He will grant justice. And even in those times, right, when you're like, God, don't you see what's happening? Like, step in, God. Right? Even if the only time he ever steps in is at the second coming of Christ, right, is he will step in. And again, we learn and we're, we, from this story and encouraged to, to never question the fact that God answers every prayer. He hears your prayer and he answers every single one. Now, again, what if, the, what if the answer is no, right? I mean, it might be no, but it's, it's an answer. Okay, what if the answer is wait? Oh, that one's annoying. I mean, literally, I mean, God's going to answer one of those three ways, right? He's going to say yes, he's going to say no, or he's going to say wait. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, you know, right, that it's these two answers that really test our faith, right? If the answer is yes, then we go directly to praise, right? I mean, go back, right? See point number one, right? If the answer is no or if the answer is wait, right, then we need to stay in persistence, continue to seek the Lord, right? And again, whether, because whether it's yes, no, or wait, God answers every prayer. Now, like I said, I, I don't like it when God says wait, I mean, I, I, can, I can deal with a no, right? At least I just, you know, got closed the door. I'm like, okay, Lord, like, I trust you. It's no. But because oftentimes when it's wait, it's like you get, it's just silence. Right, that, that's tough. Right, I don't know about you, but like, when I pray about something, and like, I expect God to answer then. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to wait. I'm, I'm not good at waiting. And I feel like I pray, and I, you know, I feel like the cat waiting for the mail to drop, right? It's like, is he coming? 
right? Is it coming? Is it coming? Right? And, and again, the more that God waits, right, the more that we can identify with this guy, right? We're like, please, really? Just drop the mail. Like, come on. Like, this is fun. Right? And, and, and again, it's, and so many times, right, we're told to wait, and, and, and we've all felt like this, haven't we? I'm still waiting. Are you there, God? And, and yet, when we think about this idea of waiting, and, and again, this is tough. I mean, this is really tough for most people. I don't know, maybe it's not for you. It's tough for me, I'll just say that. It's really tough. And yet, if we look through Scripture, right, and we realize that, again, God can always see more than we see, right? God has a plan. We, do we trust him even when it's wait, even when it's hard to wait? Right? We look through Scripture, and we realize that Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years, right, before God said go. If God's making you wait, you're in good company. And again, I, it's, is it easy to wait? No. Is it frustrating to wait? Absolutely. Right, but yet, we're told to be persistent, keep praying. And yet, as I look back at my life and at my faith journey, I realize that those, it's those times that God said wait is when my faith has grown the most. Right, now, those were not easy seasons or times. Right, there's, in fact, there's a lot of really blunt conversations with God in the midst of those times. I mean, he's like, just trust me and wait. I'm like, but Lord, do you see this? Right? Like, this, is, this is tough. Right, again, may, many of you know, some of you maybe don't, that, again, I think one of the, the biggest struggles in recent years in my life and faith journey and marriage and family and one of the biggest victories was our adoption of Claire. Some of you may, maybe don't even know that Claire's adopted. We, we adopted our daughter. I mean, she's almost four, so it was four years ago, right, when we finally got the resolution and answer to that prayer. But, but there was two years before that happened that was, that was wait. And that, that was a tough season. It was a tough season on a lot of ways, but, but yet, again, God just kept telling us, like, just be persistent and just wait. Like, I'm working. Like, do it a little faster, God. <laughs> right? Like, please. Right? And yet, I look back at that process, and, and even just our lives now, right, of having her, you know, as a part of our family, and I just, you know, I, you see the blessings, you see the incredible power, right, of what God did, and, and how he worked, and and, and again, even looking back at that season of what he did in us, right, in that waiting season to prepare us for what was coming. And now we look back at that, and, and because it's easy now, right, four years later, you know, look at those two years and be like, yeah, I can see how much I grew, and like, that was great. But I tell you, in the season, that was very tough. It's hard to hear wait, right? But our faith grows with persistence. The next story I want to look at is in Luke 18, verses 18 through 30, where Jesus interacts with this rich man. He says, uh, picking up at verse 18, he says, once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, 
and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. And Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or a wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Now, as we read this, again, this story, this interaction between Jesus and this rich man, and then as we see it, it, it turns a corner to where it becomes an interaction with the disciples. Again, this story starts with the foundational question, what should I do to it, it, inherit eternal life? <laughs> right? And Jesus presents the textbook answer by giving back to this guy the commandments. Right? He says, live to these commandments. Now, after this guy claims that he's checked off all the boxes, right, Jesus gives him the next step in his journey. He says, great, now sell everything, donate the money, and then come and follow me. Right, now, this man had done all the easy stuff regarding his faith. Now Jesus was getting to his heart. Again, remember a few weeks ago, Luke chapter 12, heart and treasure? Treasure and heart and how connected they are. Again, Luke 12, 34, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. Again, Jesus is challenging this man to take his faith to the next level. Again, he's telling him, hey, it's, it's time to move forward. You've done enough. Now it's time to rely on God's power. Right? Let God transform your heart. Again, just as we talked about that week, right, this, this was not about his money at all. It was about his heart. It was about the fact, right, that his faith wasn't there. He checked off all the right boxes. He'd done all the right works. Right, but Jesus says, man, but you're still falling short. Like, you've done a good job. But what you need is faith. And what's holding your heart back from faith is your money. And so Jesus challenges him to take it to the next level. He's saying, it's time for you to grow in your faith. And when you do that, it will affect a whole new area of your life, right? An area of your life that you've held back from God. For this guy, it was his money, right? For, for you, it might be something different. Everybody's journey is different. Right, but something has a hold of your heart. And God, the next phase might be like, and it's time to give it up. Right, it's time to keep growing. It's time to move forward, right? It's time for your faith to produce something new. Otherwise, you get stuck in your faith journey and you end up camping. Right? And you, you, you're in the same spot year after year after year, and your faith stops growing. Right, and that, this is where we see, again, from this, and Jesus tells us that faith is increased with production. What is your faith producing? Okay, not just about what are you doing in your life. It's not doing to, to earn your salvation. It's doing to grow in your faith. Okay, to fulfill what God is asking you to do. Production looks different depending on how far you are on your journey. 
right? If, if you're still in the consuming part of your journey, right, then production looks like consuming more, right? Reading God's word, showing up to a small group, right? Coming to a prayer group, okay? Consume more. If all you're doing is consuming, it might be time to start transitioning to contributing to God's kingdom, right? And sign up to volunteer somewhere or to serve, or to take a bigger responsibility, right, to, to shine God's light in a different way. Okay, consuming and growing in your faith leads to production. For one, per, for one person, production looks one way, like leading a small group. For another one, it might look like helping in our kids' area. For someone else, it's inviting their neighbor to come to church with them. For someone else, production might be going on a short-term mission trip. For someone else, it might be saying, I'm ready to be baptized. Right, what is your faith producing? In fact, if we look at scripture, right, um, we see that there's lots of different ways, right, that, um, that our life is supposed to produce. I read Galatians 5. Again, it's going to look different in everyone's journey, depending on how long you've been walking with God, where you're at, what's the next step. Okay, but we know that whatever the next step of production is in your faith, it will feel scary and it will feel impossible. Again, to this guy, doing what Jesus said sure seemed impossible. And again, the disciples even like, Jesus, that, that's, a, that's a high, that's hard. Like, that's a high bar. Like, you really want that guy to do that? And again, what, did, what was Jesus' response? He says, what's impossible for people is possible with God. And again, that starts with our salvation, right? The most foundational part of our faith. Salvation. What's imp- we can't save ourselves, but it's possible with God. Right, can, can, I, can I give all my stuff away and, and still be who I am? It's possible with God. Right, but yet, notice, even the conclusion is not that God wants us to give everything away and be, you know, have nothing. I mean, he literally says at the end of that passage that you will be, re- you will be rewarded in this world and for eternity. Right, that God will provide for you. Right, again, it's not about your stuff and it's not about your bank account. It is about your heart. Right? And is it focused on the right thing? Again, this sums up the original question. I can't do anything to earn eternal life. Only God can save me. Can a rich man save himself? Nope. Not any more than a poor man can. Right? Only God can save him. And just like this rich man that presents the question, many Christians today are willing to go so far with their faith. I'm, I'm checking off the right boxes, right? And they'll do that, and they'll just keep doing that, and keep checking out the right boxes, as long as it doesn't affect too much of their life. Right? As long as I don't have to sacrifice that, Lord, I'll do everything else for you, just, just not that. Right? And that's exactly where this man was. Again, the moment it becomes uncomfortable or inconvenient or requires something dear to me, or, or a core change in, in my attitude or my schedule or Right, we're like, that's far enough. I'll just camp right here. And we stop journeying forward in our faith. And we need to learn that if your faith isn't producing anything new in your life, it's time for a new step in your journey. But we're not supposed to be in the same spot. You're supposed to be further along in your journey today than you were yesterday. 
You should be further along your journey in faith now than you were last year. That you, you should be more like Christ today than you were yesterday. And you should be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. Again, I don't know where you're at in your journey. I don't know where your faith is at, but I know it needs to grow. Right? And again, what makes our faith grow? Praise, persistence, and production. What's the next step of your journey? Right? What's the next thing you need to do? Okay, the next step of your journey, whatever it is, will produce new fruit in your life. If it's of God. Because you'll be more like Christ as you're transformed. And again, I don't know what that next step is. You probably do. Uh, there's probably something that's popped in your head. and like, oh, okay. Is that it, Lord? Probably is. If it's not, then just ask God, right? I mean, then go back to per- persistence, right? And just keep asking God, right? And praise. And say, until God shows you the next step, right? Of what's the next step of production in my faith? What do I need to do? Do I need to be baptized? Do I need to commit to a small group? Do I need to volunteer? Do I need to just get on my knees and surrender my heart and salvation for the first time? Do I need to give up that habitual sin or that that hard heart or or release control about this thing in my life? I need to stop checking boxes and seek the Lord. I don't know what the next step of your faith is, but I hope you do. And if you don't, then ask God. And I have full confidence, I have full faith that he will tell you. And then our job, right, is to follow through. Which means my final thought this morning, and that's this. Until we are with God in heaven, our journey isn't over. And our faith needs to keep growing. So what do you need right now to increase your faith? The disciples asked a really good question. Right? It's a question we need to continue to ask every day. Lord, how can I increase my faith? Right? And then it's our job to react to whatever God tells us to do and follow through.